This is The Guardian. Today, the wives and mothers of Russian soldiers daring to defy President Putin. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Seven months after Russia invaded Ukraine, hundreds of thousands of civilian men were drafted into Putin's army to fight in the war. These men had normal lives and jobs. Families and loved ones who were worried or proud, or both, as their men went to serve their country. But it's been 16 months since the first conscripts were called up. And women have become desperate and angry about the toll it's taking. They want their men home. Many wives, partners and mothers supported President Putin, but now they feel betrayed. And they're mobilising, in their thousands, to protest against a war with no end in sight. Been going to the Kremlin and laying flowers at the tomb of the unknown soldier is this very symbolic place to honour all the Russian men who died fighting in the Second World War. And obviously the Kremlin is the centrepiece of Russian power and staging any protest at the Kremlin is extremely dangerous for anyone and countless people have been arrested for that. So for them to do that shows their commitment to the cause. Discontent is rippling across Russia. Public feeling about the battle raging in Ukraine isn't so straightforward anymore. They've also recorded several videos. One which was quite remarkable was them standing in white scarves on the background. It's just this snowy Russian backdrop of birch trees. And they're calling for all men to be demobilized. They're standing holding these posters. Images that tens of thousands of Russians will have seen and will have sympathized with. From The Guardian, I'm Nashin Ekbal. Today in Focus, could the wives of Russian soldiers shatter support for war in Ukraine? Piotr you're a Russian affairs reporter for The Guardian, and you've been looking at this emerging protest group, The Way Home, which is made up of the wives and mothers of soldiers in the Russia-Ukraine war. Last month, you met one of the leaders, Maria Andreeva. Can you tell me what she was like? Yes, I've spoken to her over several phone calls in December. Hello. Hello. Good morning, Maria. It's Piotr. Yes, yes. 
When he first starts speaking to her, she comes across quite timid. But as the conversation grows, so does her anger. She comes from Moscow. She's a housewife and her husband was a physiotherapist. They have three children. She described herself as strictly apolitical. She didn't follow the news. But at some point, she had no choice, and the war came into her household when Vladimir Putin, in September 2022, announced the general mobilization, the first mobilization since the Second World War. The Kremlin was forced to call up 300,000 Russian servicemen after Ukraine successfully recaptured some of its lost territory in the south of the country, near Kherson and in the north, near Kharkiv. And by doing this, Putin broke one of his core promises, which he gave to Russians when the war started, that civilians would not go and fight in Ukraine. I emphasize that conscript soldiers are not participating in hostilities and will not participate in them, and there will be no additional call-up of reservists. Only military professionals are completing tasks. I'm sure they will firmly provide safety and peace for Russia's people. The moment Putin announces mobilization, hundreds and thousands of average normal Russians, they were conscripted from their work and their life changed dramatically. What did that mean for Maria and her husband? So when he was conscripted, it was a huge shock for her, for her husband. She told me that her husband said from the start he doesn't want to kill people, that this war in Ukraine wasn't his war. And many men and their wives will feel the same about having to leave everything behind and participate in a war that they might not agree with or even find criminal. So Piotr, what do we know about these men who were basically forced to give up their day-to-day lives and go and fight in the Russian army? When Putin conscripted 300,000 men in September 2022, he called up men from all different backgrounds, but primarily focused on men from Russia's regions. We've seen that men from the big cities of Moscow and St. Petersburg have been called up much less than from the poor regions in Siberia and Russia's north and Russia's south. So predominantly, these are working class men that won't have a big military background. They've all have served one year in the Russian army as required by law. But otherwise, they were anything from a desk office worker to a driver. It's a huge spread. But in the end, these were just civilians who mm. you know, didn't sign up themselves for the war, didn't choose to go, and were forcibly conscripted. Not necessarily with great background in military training. Not at all. And we've heard anecdotal stories of men that were completely not fit to fight, who had physical limitations, who had many children at home. I think it's important to remember that when Putin called the mobilization, when he announced it, it led to the biggest drop in his popularity mm. since he became president 20 years ago. So this is a hugely unpopular move because it sort of touched the lives of so many people. And that's also the reason why Putin has been hesitant to call another mobilization, even though it seems like he needs one to continue the fighting. And what's striking as well is that many of the mobilized men have died. There are figures by independent Russian media that show that some have died within two, three weeks of arriving to the front. And we're also seeing figures that more and more mobilized men are deserting or trying to desert. A few weeks ago, I flew to Armenia in Yerevan, where I met with a mobilized man who fled the front just a week before I talked to him. He's saying, I don't want to participate in this war. This was never my choice. I was forced to, but I'm doing everything, including fleeing my country to not be part of this illegal war. 
tell me more about The Way Home. Tell me about the group and how it first emerged. The group first emerged in September 2023, a year after the men were mobilized. They emerged after a senior Russian official said that all mobilized men will continue serving in the army until the end of the war. And he gave no dates for a possible return. Mm. That angered a lot of the women. And that really sparked sort of this movement, which first emerged as a telegram chat where wives just texted each other and tried to support each other. But soon it grew into a bigger movement where the women actually went out and protested in Moscow, but also in, in other cities. And they've been growing louder and louder ever since. <laughs> It started with spontaneous meetings that they've been holding all over Russia. Now it's taken a more structured phase with them coming to the Kremlin every Saturday and standing there with posters demanding for their husband to return. They're always wearing their signature white scarves. But they're also connecting with each other and with other women on Telegram, on their page, where they have more than 40,000 members. They sign petitions. They make videos on social media. So they're trying to use all different platforms still available for Russians today. And can you tell me more about the women who are attending these protests outside the Kremlin? These protests have been attended by a few dozen women in each city. But the interesting thing about this group is that they come from a more working class background. And many of them would have described themselves as supporters of Vladimir Putin and of the Kremlin before the war in Ukraine. I've spoken to three wives and all of them said that they had no problem with Putin until their husbands were taken away and until they saw that the government has lied to them. One of them said, they've lied about my husband. What else are they lying about? So for some of them, it was sort of a watershed moment and they've started actually reading opposition channels and connecting with opposition politicians. It's a very interesting development. So from what you're saying, obviously, these wives and mothers, they're not long-standing activists or dissidents. They were quite supportive of the war, loyal to Putin. How has their language and their mindset changed? When they started in September 23, they were very careful in their messaging. They wouldn't attack Putin personally. They just asked for their husbands to be returned. But the Kremlin was ignoring them. Local officials were ignoring them. All their requests didn't reach their goals. So slowly but surely, their language hardened. I talked to some in early December and in late December, and I already saw a change in their rhetoric. They started attacking Putin personally. Right. They called Putin a liar. They called him a coward. So what's next? The Ministry of Defence has spent its money. So now we need to squeeze everything out of our guys, get the last life out of them. Maria is really the most visible member of this way home movement. She's present at almost every protest. She's probably the most vocal one as well. And she has a very strong message for the authorities. She wants her husband to return home. She wants all civilians fighting in Ukraine to return home. And ultimately, she says she wants the war in Ukraine to stop, which is a pretty brave message for a woman in President Russia, given that all war dissent is completely criminalized. Piotr, what can you tell me about the symbolism of the way that these women are protesting? I mean, how have wives and mothers of soldiers historically been treated in Russia? They're clearly inspired and they admitted themselves by the anti-war movement of the wives during the first Chechen war. Russia had a war with a breakaway region, Chechnya, in 1994, where many conscripts were fighting and dying. And as a result, mothers and wives, they set up committees all around the country and started protesting, wearing these white scarves. 
Все-таки, чтобы день не прошел зря, нам помогли с транспортом, чтобы матери по But I think they're trying to, and they're hoping to achieve a similar outcome as the woman in 1994. And is their message getting through? They've actually managed to get some soldiers at the front to back their movement. We've had this striking video of a Russian soldier asking why the authorities are harassing the wives and mothers back in Moscow and saying, this is not why I'm fighting in this war. They've also met with local opposition politicians, the few left in Russia that are sympathetic to their cause. So they're looking for different ways. So obviously it's really frightening. It's dangerous and scary for the men who are on the front line, who are out there fighting. But it's also dangerous for the women back home. I mean, could they face punishment for the stance they're taking? It seems like the authorities haven't really figured out what to do with these women. The state, uh, using the vast budget that's allocated for the war in Ukraine, has tried to make sure that a lot of these wives remain happy by offering their children places at good schools and good universities. While the conscripted men, they earn up to £3,000 a month, which is way more than the average salary in Russia. If a conscripted man dies, the family gets millions of rubles. Right. But for a lot of these wives, it's not about money. They say that no money can buy happiness and no money can buy just having my husband with me. So they're being offered financial support, but do you think the Russian authorities might take a more forceful approach if the protesters don't stop? They don't want to turn them into martyrs, into women that went to jail for their husbands. We've seen hundreds of oppositionists, politicians, but also just normal Russians being jailed, given long prison sentences for simply stating that they're against the war. Simply posting something online or saying something over coffee with a friend, even using the word war, which is illegal in Russia, as Putin and other officials call it, a special military operation, while these women have publicly called Putin a liar and a coward. So the response is clearly different. They've tried to dismiss them. They've tried to give them as little attention as possible. Some officials have said that they're backed by Western powers, which is a usual way of fighting any protest. They've been harassing them a little bit. They've been harassing their husbands who are fighting, asking them to tell their wives to shut up. So we've seen a series of methods used, but nothing seems to have completely worked. And in general, they're hoping that they just die down by themselves. And what about Putin himself? How has he responded to the way home? Putin clearly does not know exactly how to deal with this problem. He's used to dealing with the liberal Russian opposition, who he's jailed. These are young Russian men and women from the big cities that want more freedom and that have staged mass protests under the leadership of Alexei Navalny. And these women present him with a new problem because they often come from his constituency. These are working class women whose men are fighting Putin's war. So he hasn't directly commented on the Way Home movement. He has tried to address some of the concerns by staging this highly orchestrated meeting with the wives and mothers of some soldiers. Together with Andrew, my colleague, we've managed to trace down some of these women and we've found out that these were handpicked women who had actually links to the Kremlin or links to Russian or local officials. So that didn't really help 
address some of the concerns the actual movement has, they actually got only angrier by this move. So I think for now, Putin will hope that this problem will go away by itself, but it doesn't seem like it. And from the activists and the women that you've spoken to, Maria, for example, are they scared about what might happen to them? They're definitely scared to be separated from the children, for example. But I think they feel this is their duty to bring their husbands home. I think this sort of becomes their life goal. They say that they can't sleep at night. All they do is think about their husbands and how they feel and that they could be killed any moment. I think what they've stressed to me is that they have nothing to lose. They're not afraid of the government. They know that their husband could die any moment in the war. So for them, trying to get them back and trying to get the war to stop is a matter of life and death. Coming up, after almost two years of conflict, how do Russians now feel about the war in Ukraine? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day... What would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Piotr, in general... How would you describe how the public mood has evolved in Russia towards the war? It's very tough to cog the mood, obviously, in an authoritarian country where hundreds of people have been jailed, where people tell on each other for opposition of the war, where almost no independent opinion polls do exist. There's one opinion poll that is independent that continues to work. It's called Levada. And they asked Russians before the new year, if they have one wish for 2024, what that would be. And the most popular question was peace. And I think that is striking that obviously these polls are anonymous, but just saying that you're in favor and for peace 
could be very dangerous if that ever comes out, if your name comes out. So that so many Russians were still eager to say that they want peace does show that there's a mood that is getting tired of the war. Putin has not indicated that there's any signs that the war will end at any point. I think majority of Russians appear to want to return back to normality. Well, there have been other perhaps unlikely events that have helped shape public conversation about the war in recent weeks. And I'm thinking specifically about a star-studded party that you covered last month. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so at the end of December, the creme de la creme of the Russian high society organized a scandalous party in one of Moscow's biggest nightclubs. The party went under the theme almost naked, and all these celebrities were wearing these outrageous outfits. One rapper was only wearing a strategically placed sock and otherwise being fully naked. I had a few sources who were also at this party, and everyone seemed to be having a great time on the night until footage of the party leaked online and spread like wildfire. <laughs> And for a good week, it became the biggest topic of, of Russian society. It's hard to overstate how big uh, a topic of conversation it was. Mm. Many people were fighting with each other over whether the celebrities were allowed to do what they were doing. And I think the event was very telling for how Russian society is becoming radicalized by sort of a smaller pro-war faction how this smaller pro-war faction is demanding that everyone falls in line with them, with the conservative values. And ultimately, the Kremlin backed this faction. And Putin also spoke out about the party and said that it was a disgrace. This rapper that I mentioned earlier received two weeks in jail. Other celebrities were forced to make these public apologies. They were humiliated. I think it showed that within society, there's a lot of tension between the ones who just want to continue their lives because many mm. did sympathize with the people that were partying because they were just saying they were having a good time. So it was a very uh, a symbolic moment for Russia, I think. So on the one hand, you have these influencers partying, then being punished, and then there being this enormous backlash to their punishment. And then on the other hand, you've got these mothers and wives in headscarves demonstrating do you think they've had as big an impact on public feeling in Russia? I think for a lot of Russians that are otherwise not directly involved with the war, so if you're not mobilized and if you're just trying to keep your head down and live your life, to see that there are these women whose husbands have been called up who were basically the same as them, just civilians, and how radically their life changed, I think that could serve as a sign to any Russian civilian that this fate could happen to you as well. have any other types of protest or grassroots movements emerged in recent months in Russia? So the room for protest is extremely limited, but Russians still try to find different ways to protest. This small-scale regional politician and presidential hopeful Boris Nadezhdin, Russia is having its presidential elections in March. Mm. I think that President Putin has made a fatal mistake starting the special military operation. We use this term in Russia because I have to... Uh, and for Gershon to be able to run for president, he needs to collect 100,000 signatures 
across Russia. Mm. You know, Adyashin is running on an anti-war platform. And what's been fascinating to see is that thousands and thousands of Russians who might have not known who Nadezhda is or don't even consider him their politician, they've been standing in line, they've been bracing the cold to sign a signature for him, to put their name under his candidacy. I would like there to be some kind of alternative because everyone else has the same agenda. This is an opportunity to send a message to the government. In any case, our signatures will be noticed, I'm sure of it. And for me, that's a really interesting way for Russians to still be able to show that they are against the war. Mm. So I think Russians are trying to get creative. And if they know that they can't protest by holding a sign or by writing a status on social media, now they stand in line and they want to sign a signature for this new politician. And the big question is whether the Kremlin will allow him to run for office. And do you think they will? I think they're debating right now within the Kremlin. This is what I'm hearing as well. On one side, the Kremlin would want to let Nadezhda run to have at least some legitimacy in the election. So there's at least one candidate that is a bit different from Putin, but then make sure that he would get as little votes as possible. On the other hand, the Kremlin doesn't like things that they can't control. And at the moment, these lines that we're seeing for Nadezhda, they're genuine. You know, These are genuine citizens who just want to express their political opinion in any safe way they can. So I think we're already seeing that the Kremlin is getting a bit uncomfortable with uh, Nadezhda's candidacy. He's being completely ignored by state television. On state media, there are reports about him being backed by Western sponsors, etc. So we're seeing some attacks on him, but we'll know soon because the deadline is end of the month, whether he'll be registered or not. But either way, I think it's an interesting phenomenon where thousands of Russians are standing in line and also connecting with each other and voicing their position. And finally, Piotr, where do you think all this leaves the women who form The Way Home and the impact that they're having on this change of public feeling towards the war at this stage? It's very hard to say. At the end of the day, they're fighting one of the most authoritarian state-controlled governments we've seen. But as the war continues and as more men are being thrown into the meat grinder that Putin's war is, I think their voices will only become more resonant and more relevant for society. And I think more and more Russians will become sympathetic with their voice, with their message, as they see that their own lives is being impacted by the war. And what does Maria tell you about her determination and what keeps her going? Yeah, she says she will go till the end. She really speaks about her eyes being opened about the regime, about the war. She's one of those people, for what I see, that will keep on protesting until she's forcibly made quiet, whether it's being thrown in jail or some other ways. But she seems to be extremely determined to continue. Piotr, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Piotr Sauer, Russian affairs reporter for The Guardian. Do find and follow his profile page at theguardian.com to read his latest pieces on what's happening in the country. And that's it for today. I'm Nishin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Courtney Youssef. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.